0: hi guys and welcome to another episode of the music is more podcast i'm your host ayana and on this week's episode we're going to be covering denzel curry's latest project melt my eyes see your future i'm really excited about this album i've got a lot to say about this album so if you're interested in a really comprehensive review followed by a nice deep discussion of some of the broader themes explored in the album stay tuned Music is more than the notes. Music is more music than, is lyrics. More than music, music is more than syncopation. Music, music is more than, than the Music is more than melody. Music, music is more than the harmony. Music is more than the rhythm. Music is more than a moment. Music is more than words. Music is more than ideas. Music is more than a sound or the interpretation. Music is more So as I like to do, before we get into any of the album review or the discussion or anything like that, I like to give some basics, some album basics. Uh, Melt My Eyes to Your Future is Denzel Curry's fifth album. It was released March 25th, 2022, and it's got 14 songs, 45 minutes, and 10 seconds of runtime. Great, 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 amazing. Really? Really? It's somewhere in the middle of a lot of the albums that we've listened to. Some are short, around half an hour. Some are long, around an hour and some change. And this is right in the middle with about 14 songs, 45 minutes. So, you know, it wasn't intimidating off of the bat, which I appreciated. Nevertheless, this review took me a long time. And that's because content wise, it is jam packed, right? There were no throwaway songs on this album. I've got something to say about all of them each song had a lot going on so even though this album was only 45 minutes and 10 seconds in runtime it took me nearly a day really to iterate through all of the songs make sure I'm like you know focusing on them getting what he's trying to tell me all that stuff decoding them whatever you want so I can really appreciate that <laughs> I can really appreciate that so just just if you're thinking about doing some casual listening I don't think this is the one for you I think this is one that you've got to really focus on and turn your attention towards when you're listening to it but that's just me that's just my opinion so yeah <laughs> um something uh Denzel Curry has said about about my eyes he said about the title, Mel my eyes is a metaphor for things we choose not to see on a daily basis. We avoid people, we avoid the news, we avoid criticism, but most importantly, we avoid facing the truth ourselves when it's right in front of us. See your future comes from self-reflection and the realization that I'm going to do something to be better or I'm going to do something to better the world by letting them know that we are all the same and we can move forward in life if we don't focus on the past. And that's what Denzel Curry had to say about it from his um, interview with Loud and Quiet, I'm pretty sure. You know, I like to get the artist's perspective of their own work before I dive in. Not too much, because I want, you know, to have my first guesses first before I go and and see what they actually have to say about, like, the meaning and stuff. But I read a little bit from this Loud and Quiet before diving in, and so I had an idea, but not, you know, fully any—not fully— not fully an idea. Anyway, so those are some of the album basics. Those are some of the specs on the album. Let's go ahead and get into our album review. Really, there's so much here. It's hard to pinpoint, but I'm just going to tell you some of my main thoughts when I was listening to this. The musical instrumental quality of this album is out of this world, right? And Upon my first listen, especially with the first couple of uh, tracks on the album, I felt really nostalgic, right? I felt like the sound is very much nostalgic. It's very much older hip-hop, kind of. Um, it He's got a like slower cadence in terms of his delivery. It very much harkened back to some older days in terms of music. But even with that kind of feeling um I felt it was still high quality right it's not like he just recycled old stuff he does he does new things in the style of old stuff kind of if you get what I'm saying so (laughs) and like old is not bad or anything it's just you know it's just older I don't know (laughs) but I enjoyed that sound nevertheless right it's new especially when you think about other music that comes out um it, this is a diversion from a nor, from the norm, right? It's older, but it's new to my ears because everything else that's coming around, that's coming out in in these days, is like drill music or trap music and stuff. And this is definitely a, a diversion from that. I can appreciate it. <laughs> I can appreciate it. And I think it takes a special like skill set to create something new in the style of something old. Because we are not, I think it's much easier to just create like a trap beat right now, a new trap beat because everyone's making traps so you can get easily like inspired and do it in the style of everyone else around. But when you think about how to make something new in the style of people that you are no longer peers or contemporaries with, I think it takes a different like mind state. So props to you, props to you because it sounds pretty authentic to me, right? It doesn't yeah. <laughs> I won't I won't um expound but it sounds authentic to me. Um more about authenticity because I think that's also a really important component of this album in terms of the way that he's rapping, you know, there are no bells and whistles, so it's just really in your face. It's easily understood, it's direct. He's got like a momentum and a force to his rapping that really accentuates the gravity of some of the stuff that he's talking about right so I can really appreciate that I can really see that I think he spoke a little bit about this in the loud and quiet interview that I was talking about earlier um about how he really wants to be Denzel Curry no alter egos or anything like that just purely himself and I think I can see that and I really do appreciate that within the album the production on the album fantastic (laughs) the production on the album fantastic and even though I talked about the um nostalgic feel of some of those earlier songs he does switch it up in terms of sound in terms of like um not genre because it's all right it's all rapping but these different sub these different sub genres if you want like there's a track on here that I feel strays very um it strays very closely into like uh trap music, right? Um X-Wing. X-Wing reminds me of <laughs> of contemporary trap music, right? Troubles is a different sound with T-Pain on it. Uh, Ain't No Way is a different sound with Rico Nasty and Black or six lack, whatever you want to call him, J I D, Josiah, Powers Pleasant, all of them on Ain't No Way. That's a different, you know, that's not necessarily old, older or nostalgic that's something new. Like <laughs> so just so you hear him authentically on a lot of these songs, and you hear him, you know, accentuated by uh more modern instrumentals as well, so he switches it up. It's not all just him like slowly rapping over a uh, old school beat, right? So I can, I like that. I like it a lot. I love I love people who can play with their sound and switch it up and diversify it in a way that still feels authentic to them and their sound, but just breaks up the what could be the monotony of an album right so yeah great job on the production um fantastic finally right and most importantly we got to talk about the lyrics because they're out of this world they are fantastic this album in terms of lyrics really this album as a whole is what i've been waiting for right it is a great great musical album instrumentals are great you know production is fantastic, all of that, but on top of that, it is really introspective it's really um like deep <laughs> it's it's got it's got a depth to it that I have been kind of searching for in modern music if you get what I'm saying, and so I feel like this album is one of the best that I've reviewed so far and one of the best from this year so far. Because it just is. <laughs> it, just, it just is. You can see that he's put a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of effort into what he's saying and to what he wants you to get from the album. Into the production quality, into the instrumentals, into the selections, into the choices made across the album. Like, you know, it's great. It's fantastic. I love a really, really demonstrative body of work. And I think that's what he's created here. The more about the lyrics. More about the lyrics because I have to. About the lyrics because, wow, beautiful, amazing. Um, they're the star, in my opinion, right? It took me so long to go over this album because I'm looking at the lyrics. And I'm trying to absorb everything that he's trying to tell me. And he tried to tell me a lot. And I love When people have a lot to say, some people, some people make music and don't have shit to say. And I had to say it. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's the truth. A lot of these hoes make music and don't have anything to say. This man just put out basically a thesis. Do you understand? He just defended his, he just defended his thesis. He just, he just, he just blew my mind. He just gave a lecture. You know, he just taught you something. On this album. Get taught something. Everybody. (laughs) Back in my day. I want to go on a rant bad. You know, because I think there's been a lot of mindless consumption of music. And mindless production of music and all of that. But not here. Not today. Not today. And here in this house, what do we believe? We believe music is more. And so does Denzel Curry. Come on. Okay, so. (laughs) That is going to be That my general album review now let's iterate through the song selection here because like i said no throwaways he had something to say on every song and even when he didn't have that much to say he still said a lot (laughs) so let's do that all right so the first song on this album is called melt session number one featuring robert glasper the title melt session number one implies that there are potentially other melt sessions. So I'd be interested in seeing what those might look like. Um, yeah, (laughs) that's, that was my first thought when I was like looking at this album and everything, but we get into melt session and it's very nostalgic, right? I feel like the nostalgia of the instrumental keeps you very down to earth, right? It's apparent that Denzel Curry really want to stay authentic and stay down to earth and, you know, in touch with himself and that the instrumental I feel assist in creating that space for him to do so, right? It's really no there's no bells and whistles in terms of these kind of instrumentals that he is fond of in this first half of the um in this first half of the album. So it, it kind of works twofold in that way. Um, and then the lyrics of Melt Session, number one, highly introspective and self-aware. I love people who are self-aware. Ooh, ooh, God, I love people who are self-aware. Mm, it's amazing. Um, so <laughs> they, it, it, it immediately caught my eye because who is doing that? Who Who is being self-aware in modern music? Some people, but also a lot of people aren't. So I was like immediately, yes, this is a yes for me. He says a couple things, right? And I think I think what we'll do differently in this song by song breakdown is that I'm going to pick out some lyrics to talk about because there's just such they're just such an essential part to the experience that I just I just have to, right? <laughs> I just have to. So anyway, more about this melt session number 1. I said I love self-aware people. Right. And the reason I love self-aware people is because I think being self-aware and um, attaining self-development is really so hard. Right. And in being self-aware, you push through a lot of the difficulties that come with having to turn an eye inward and confront your own bad behavior. Right. So I have a lot of admiration for that as well. And he is reflecting in this, (laughs) he's reflecting in this uh, song and in this album as a whole, you know, of his external and internal environment. And I love that for him. I love that for him. It's very painful to do, right? It's not a very happy process coming face to face with the realities of your world and of your mind and of your spirit and of your body and all of that. But he does it. And I am so proud. Anyway, a lyric that I really like from melt session number one is going to have to be being aware is my definition of melt. And this is, it just underlines what he was trying to say in the loud and quiet interview in that you know, melt my eyes is talking about becoming aware, right? I'm melting my eyes so that I can actually see what is going on on a large scale, right? I'm getting rid of of, you know, the ego or the pride that might blind me to certain realities and instead becoming aware, right? Yeah. So I love that one. Love that line. And I like this opening track. I think it does a great job of introducing where he wants to take you, what he wants to say to you throughout the album. So more power to him. After Melt Session, we move into Walkin'. Walkin' is great. Walkin' was released as a single, but I hadn't heard it before I listened to the full album. And I can appreciate... (laughs) I, I say that a lot. I can appreciate that. I like the fact that I did not hear Walkin' until I heard it within the context of this album, because I can really understand it within the context of this album, right? "Walking" is a banger. <laughs> "Walking" is a banger, right? It starts off in that same nostalgic feeling as a Melt Session number one, keeping it real, keeping it pretty clean, you know, and then we have this breakdown halfway through. The breakdown is so important. The breakdown is so important, okay? It gets crazy, and I like it, and I like it a lot. <laughs> Walking is great also because it's talking in the lyrics about, you know, uh, systemic problems, therapy, how you got to keep going, a lot of religious references. We see that theme throughout the album. He t- He makes a lot of references to religion. I'd love to, you know question him a little bit more about like his belief in like God and what all that entails. But he, he talks about, he makes religious references throughout the album, right? Then also more about the music. Um, there's the sound of walking in this. And, you know, it's such a simple thing, but it blow, it blew my freaking mind. I'm like, is that the set? What is that sound? What is that a sound effect? And it's somebody walking. And you better walk. You better stretch. Um, so some of the, (laughs) some of the lyrics that I really liked from this was there, there's a part where he says, who the, who the fuck said, stop the track, let a real, let a real one talk. He said, who the fuck said, stop the track, bruh, let a real one talk. Yeah. And I love that because the track does stop and it blows your freaking mind. It's simple, right? But it's a choice. And it's a choice that makes the song better, in my opinion. Right? Blows your freaking mind. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, he's spitting. He is. He is rapping his little ass off, and he is. But you know, it makes you think even more after they do this awesome like pause in the music. Another another lyric that I like from this is in this dirty, filthy, rotten, nasty little world we call our home, and so. You might ask Ayana, why do you like that? <laughs> why do you like that horrible lyric that, you know, confronts the negative realities of living in the United States and living in, you know, the world in general sometimes. And I like it because it is so off-putting. It makes you think, right? I think a lot of people are um, are under the impression that, you know, Um, what do I want to say? I feel like a lot of people are living in an illusion (laughs) and um choose to ignore some of the harsher realities of our existence for the maintenance of their own, you know, comfort, right? And more power to you. That is your decision and everything, but sometimes it's important to acknowledge that. We are not living in an entirely positive reality and that there are changes that we could make, you know, that would make uh, the situation better. So I like this. It's a little like call out, like, you know, come on. Do you see what I see? It's melting the listener's eyes in this way, right? I like that. After a walk-in, we go to Worst Comes to Worst, another um, stark look at the negative realities that often confront people who live in the United States and people who live in poverty and in in, uh, um, in poor conditions, you know, globally as well. I kind of think the title is kind of ironic because... The idea is this is the worst, right? We are living the worst right now. Worst has already come to worst and this is it. <laughs> or, you know, some, and sometimes you have that feeling like it already is the worst comes to worst with the way that things are in the United States. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, he makes more religious references here. Talks a lot about, you know. The just just the state of the world and um, the the way that people are living and everything. So it's kind of like it's sad. It's kind of depressing. It's kind of downtrodden. Nevertheless, he's got a sort of rashness to him in the face of these negative realities. Like I'm still walking. I'm still going. Worst comes to worst, I'm going to take everybody out with me. <laughs> you know, that kind of feeling, like, like it's still, like, belligerent. And I think that is more, optim- more optimistic than people will realize upon first listen, right? This, this drive to continue to fight and to continue to, like, live, despite worst coming to worst, is potentially for some encouraging <laughs> and, and like I said or I might have said already that he makes several religious references throughout this one one of my favorite lines on this is try to get to heaven but we see that heaven oh no yes my one of my favorite lines is try to get to heaven but we see that heaven cost here huh pestilence famine and death what am I forgetting or something something along those lines. So, <laughs> I like that line. And, yeah. Track number four, John Wayne featuring Buzzy Lee uh, with JPEG Mafia's production. It's a kind of trippy instrumental in terms, uh, you know, of, like, the soundscape that he's creating. And then, it's this, like, trippy instrumental but then you get gunshots inserted throughout that it's just really jarring kind of right like ugh, oh my gosh and you it, and of course the song is about like gun violence police brutality and everything like that but it, it the instrumental is also part of that art right art, also part of that art piece and really drives the point home in my opinion Uh, There's also police sirens in the back of this instrumental, you know, wild vocals in the outro. So this was uh, a wild ride, if you would. One of my favorite lyrics from this is. Well, I didn't really have one for this one, and that's because it's a lot about um, guns and (laughs) and uh, yeah, I don't know, but it's. It's still like a good song, even though I don't, it doesn't, it's not a something that I would play again type feeling. You know, I don't know. I think this one was just too jarring for me and too jarring and not in a way that it's bad, but in a way that like I would not listen to this on repeat or anything. After John Wayne, we have The Last, uh, which is more melodic than the stuff that he was doing before. I can appreciate that. I love a good melody, um, and he's kinda like singing. He's not singing, but it's just it's just a more melodic type of rap happening here um it's about this this song is about kind of like performative acts activism and kind of like the end of the world as we know it because it it reminds me of worst comes to worst in that it's like you know. This could be the last day and I'm going to just keep going (laughs) or, you know, I'm still trying to live, but this could be it, right? We are probably living in (laughs) the end of times type feeling (laughs) and uh, yeah, Uh, yeah, like yes, and I do get that, but also what a, what a. What a what a thought, right? What a thought. Um, Yeah, so one of my favorite lines from this one is the ones who, with influence don't ever be teaching. I like that one because I feel that it is very true. And like I said, a lot of people be making music and be making moves and don't have anything to say. I'm trying to get famous. Trying to get a platform. All for not because they don't have anything to say. Let's keep going. No, actually, I also want to say about the last. I also want to say about the last that I love the outro because I needed the outro after the last. I needed this peaceful switch up on the outro because it feels kind of like a breath of fresh air, a breath of relief after the last. Then from the last, we move into Mental featuring Saul Williams and Bridget Perez. Much chiller track, jazzy piano in the back. Spoken word, outro, very chill, very chill, despite some of the heavier subject material, right? In terms of, you know, uh, mental health and death and stuff like that. So it's heavier, but on top of this, like, you know, jazzy, chill kind of beat. Yeah, and I also like the chorus that is like saying becoming aware is part of the cure, right? You're feeling badly about the world, and it's probably and it might be due to the fact that you um, have not opened your eyes to what is really going on in terms of the world. So I like that as well. It's it, the chorus goes, "It's all in your mental, it's all in my mind, but I'm gonna feel fine once I melt in my eyes because, right?" yeah 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 like that next we go into troubles troubles featuring t-pain shout out to t-pain we love t-pain the distorted vocals is a t-pain signature and that's definitely what you enter with electronic sounds in the backing it's kind of like a flex song but they still keep it humble because you acknowledge you know the common trope of more money more problems type feeling um and then I love T-Pain because I love what he does in terms of his vocals and producing his vocals so much fun um so yeah after Troubles we go into Ain't No Way featuring Black Rico Nasty, J-I-D, Josiah, and Powers Pleasant. Um, I love this song. <laughs> First of all, I love Rico. I love Rico Nasty. I also like Black. I also like J-I-D. You know, some great features. So I was excited to listen to Ain't No Way. And then it comes in with this fire instrumental, like this epic instrumental, right? And... Black is on this, and it's kind of like an introductory type feeling. He does like the chorus and the post-chorus first, right? Before they f- switch it up. They switch it up. And I can't even breathe because then, then Rico comes. And then Rico comes and then she, she's spitting. I love Rico. And then they change again after the inter- interlude. Right. They change again. So G- J.I.D. and Denzel Curry can come in with their slower kind of rapping feeling. And I feel like Ain't No Way is a not so humble flex. Right. It's a not so humble flex. It's more like a, I need my money and I need it now type feeling. And I like that. I like that a lot. I love this song. I love the switch the switch up. <laughs> I love the switch up of the instrumental. I love the verses. I love the features. I love the structure of the song. This is an absolute unit. I love Ain't No Way. Then we go to X-Wing, which is a different sound, more modern. This is definitely this. This is song that I was talking about that reminds me of current music more. Right. In terms of like a trap beat. And then on top of that, he's not really saying nothing, right? And I think it's done purposely. I feel like this is kind of like satire, right? It definitely, it definitely could be, right? He's asking for an X-Wing, which is fictional, fictional. He's just saying, (laughs) and I can see this song being sung, you know, by a modern rapper just about a Tesla, but he's like, nah, you know, I'm on that next wave. So it's kind of like. satirical in that way and I I love a good satire it's still a bop despite it being about you know Star Wars X-Wing whatever still a bop and I like that Mm -hmm, this is a good one (laughs) then from X-Wing we go to Angels featuring Kareem Riggins this one is interesting because there are so many allusions to like death and again back to religion type feeling Um, the, the freaking, the verses are great, right? He's talking about, like, meditation, attempting to escape his reality, right? Um, and, you know, uh, reach enlightenment, whatever that might look like. I can see that. I can feel that. Um, yeah. And even though, like, I like angels, I didn't really like the chorus, Um, not because the vocals were bad or anything. I just feel like the chorus was kind of rough around the edges, in my opinion, in terms of the lyrics. But that's just a personal thing. Still fun. Still fun. Then we go from Angels to The Smell of Death, which is kind of like an interlude type feeling because it's really short. It's really it's really short and then it's also a completely different vibe from anything else that we've heard on the album so far. It's a bit weird. It's a bit experimental. Not as like hard hitting as some of the other other um pieces. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um it's just something to note. After that we go to San Juro. I I hope I'm saying that right. After that we go to San Juro which is a banger. I love 454 on this or 454. 454, whatever it is. I like 454 or 454 on this track. I felt like the track was fire. I felt like the track the track was hype. And on top of being fire and hype, he's also talking about some real ass shit. Okay. Talking about his responsibilities to the community. Right? What he is attempting to do. The message he's attempting to spread. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Great song. Loved it. Period. Short and sweet. Loved it. Period. (laughs) Then we go to Zatoichi. I'm trying my best with these Japanese names. Or Zat. I want to say Zatoichi but it might be Zatoichi. It's from a Japanese film and TV character, right? And he is blind. You get it? He's blind and he's an excellent swordsman. You get it? It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, anyway, you get it? Anyway, this was a great one too. The I love the ambient vocals in the beginning. The Distorted Chorus from Slow tie It kind of reminds me of the Powerpuff Girls. That's what I said when I was first listening to it with the drums. If you get it, you get it. If you get it, tweet me. Okay, at Musicismore. If you get it, come on. But it's kind of like uh, fire. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, and Slow Tie I think, adds another dimension to it. You know, a different style. In terms of like genre and feeling, so I like that a switch up type feeling I don't know great song, great stuff even even the course even the chords in terms of lyrics were good, even though they were kind of un, not um undistinguishable indistinguishable when you like listen to it the first time when you look at what the chorus is saying that's great it's it's good lyrics as well do do. One of my favorite lines on Zatoichi is, uh, then go to every hood on this side where they can see crime and let them know that we can't recline. They planned our decline. I like that. I like that line a lot. 14, the final song on this album, The Ills. I love the production on this song. I do. I do. I do. I love it because there are moments when this old piano playing in the background it's like slightly distorted as if worn by time right there are moments when the piano covers his vocals right in terms of the mix and I think to myself that had to be like a deliberate choice like I, I love that they decided to do that in some areas right it's a really dynamic kind of soundscape I feel um and yeah I just I I really like the ills um and then he is again making several allusions to um religion and you know what he feels is his purpose in life and the state of the world and um the his own personal mental state and stuff and I also recognize the significance of him ending with this kind of like repentance, right? He goes, "Forgive me for all I've done," cuz I'd be barely praying, right? And I just I think that's important. I think that's important um in the grand scheme of things as he iterates through all of these different things, all of these different facets of himself and of the world throughout the album, and he ends on this really like introspective and kind of like repentant uh track yeah so fire album from a fire guy and I enjoyed it thoroughly I'm gonna have to listen to it again and again just so because I feel like you get something new every time you listen probably so yeah fire album Now let's get into the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast, where I'm liable to talk about whatever the hell that I feel like. What I like to do at the beginning of the Music Is More segment of the Music Is More podcast is something like a brainstorm where we discuss all of the themes we can think of in terms of the album and what it explored, just so you can get an idea of where my mind was at when I was listening, some of the stuff that I picked up on. In terms of what Denzel Curry was talking about, so let's get a list together. You know, one of the main ones I think is this recurring theme of self awareness and taking stock of his own mental state. I also feel that um, mental health and mental health issues were also very much a theme here. He discussed a lot his own struggles with mental health um suicidal ideation and things like that uh which is really like raw kind of theme but it definitely was there another theme that I found when listening to this album is authenticity I talked a little bit about that in um you know my song by song analysis earlier in the podcast uh politics the state of the world as we know it um a really kind of transparent really truthful view of what it's like to live in America right now i felt that was a recurring theme some of the you know issues within the black experience gun violence police brutality poverty things like that were heavy or were heavily covered in this in this album um there's definitely themes of religion and like religion as a coping mechanism Definitely, religion as like um, a way to express yourself and the things that you're going to kind of, or the things that you're going through kind of, in my opinion. <laughs> All of this is in my opinion because it always is. But those are some of the themes that I had noticed throughout the album. I love that he was tremendously self-aware throughout the album. He was also not only aware of himself, but aware of the surroundings, aware of like systemic issues and oppression um, and talked a lot about that. He also talked a lot about the community and how he, what he is hoping to do is express, you know, a brighter future for the community and to work toward a more positive state of being after having experienced what is America today. So, yeah. Those are some of the core themes that I found, and feel free to add on to this at me on Twitter, whatever. Um, If you want to, if you think I'm missing something, or want to shed some more light on some of the themes here on this album. So, for this album, what I really want to talk about in terms of themes and everything is going to be mental health in the African American community, and I want to talk about it because it. Of course, it's relevant to me, it's relevant to my family, it's relevant to my close friends and stuff, but I also think it's becoming more and more relevant in the African-American community as a whole, right? And I think it's important to start discussing, you know, and doing the thought work before we get into the actual actions of making mental health in the African-American community better. People are definitely already there. But I think it doesn't hurt to continue the conversation uh, and grow the conversation because how does one affect change on a large scale if, um, you know, minds are still in two about if this is even a real issue, you know? So let's, I, I, so, so yeah, so yeah, I want to talk about it. I felt that Denzel Curry himself was really brave to talk about his own struggle with mental health um, in and of itself. You know, and on this album. And so I will also be brave today and talk a little bit about my own personal take about mental health and, you know, some of the ways I feel like we can get better, we can get healthier mentally as a community. So, when I'm talking about mental health, I, I also want to give this disc- disclaimer. <laughs> Shit. I also want to give this disclaimer when I'm talking about mental health. I am not yet covering mental illness in the African American community. I feel that there is a distinction to be made there, right? Um just because there is <laughs> there are slightly different. They're on the same page. They're in the same vein, but they're just slightly different. I plan to talk about mental illness in the African-American community at some point, but today what I want to talk about is mental health. Even in uh, Denzel Curry's album, he talks about his struggles with mental health, but he never, um, you know, he never diagnoses himself or anything like that. Instead, he's talking about how he has overcome those things or how he is treating those things, getting better, dealing with them in a positive way. So that is where I want to focus in this conversation today and mental illness will definitely be a different day. So when we talk about mental health in the African-American community, sometimes I feel you are met with scoffs, right? (laughs) It is still a slightly taboo subject, especially with older generations as we see on a large scale across communities, like, you know, older people are like, What do you mean you're you have anxiety or whatever, you know? But definitely in the African American community with older generations and some and some younger folks as well who, you know, don't really believe in that, don't subscribe to mental health um matters, right? Type <laughs> they they just and and not even that they don't believe in it, but they are sometimes so uh, stuck in their ways that they feel that less than stellar mental health is just part of your experience and that it's just, you know, uh, a staple and not something to then be like mess with or talked about more than you have to type of feeling. So there is some... um there is some stigma around mental health conversations. I don't think that that is the way that it should be. And I'll tell you why. And that is because it is proven to be the truth. Like there's science behind mental health matters, right? There's science there. And then on top of that, like, why would somebody, you know, I'm always asking why? <laughs> I'm interrupting myself with my train of thought, but it's fine. I always ask myself, why is that my reaction to a subject, right? When you ask yourself, when one asks themselves, why are people in the African-American community um, hesitant to talk about mental health and to improve their mental health, you can trace the roots back to slavery and white supremacy. The idea that you cannot say or you cannot express the pain that you're going through right and in olden times right (laughs) not olden times it's not that old of a time but back in the day you know um expressing your real physical pain would get you into even more physical pain right you would be punished for um speaking out against slavery which is this mind-numbingly cruel practice you're going through so much psychological damage when you are experiencing slavery but then you cannot say because you are you know a slave so I feel that it has its origins there like you keep your mouth shut you grin and bear it type feeling um and at first it was about the the real lived experience of people and the cruelty of slavery but now over generations it's become more about you know your own personal pain don't don't say about your personal pain it, and it's it's not like it's not about slavery anymore but it's about your lived experience and you know you're not keeping quiet because it would hurt the master in the same way but you see those patterns re- repeated right if African-American people People spoke out about all of their injustice and, um, you know, mobilized about all of their injustices in the way that we are capable of, we would see a toppling of the structure in the United States of America. And so the powers that be are invested in our continued silence. So, (laughs) so I think it all is, um, connected, Right. You are silenced on the smallest level, and so that builds and builds until you're silent about these systemic injustices. If you get what I'm saying right that it's all connected, you have to grin and bear what is an individual problem, right, whether it is your own childhood trauma, whether it is how other people have treat- treated you, you know racism enduring racism enduring. the psychological damage of enduring racism, stuff like that. And your parents might say, you know, that's just the way it is. And you're effectively silenced about that. And you take that kind of individual level type thing and you keep extrapolating. Your family is silent about how they are kept away from generational wealth right they they grin and bear it they move to a different neighborhood they do something else instead of being loud about this injustice and attempting to um right said wrong right and then you move up and you then you move up and all of a sudden you've got a whole population of african American people who are continually continually exploited and and continually have injustice enacted upon them, but because there is this silence, this pattern of silence through all all throughout the all throughout the collective mind of the african American community, it is really hard for them to mobilize. I think, in my opinion, anyway, back to mental health. <laughs> we got a little bit more revolutionary than I wanted to, but whatever. Mental health matters because I think in (laughs) in um, in um, in 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 writing your own individual wrongs, it frees you up to think about your higher needs, the communal needs. Right. And it also allows you to experience a greater, you know, a greater, a greater. um, Will I say happiness? A greater freedom in life. Right. Unburdened by your traumas and your you know psychological issues and everything like that if you are mentally healthy you can move through life in a different way in a in a more healthy way in my opinion and end the opinions of several in <laughs> you know, several medical professionals right but that's part of the reason why I think that it matters it matters for a ton of other reasons that I won't expound on at the moment, but those are just some, right? <laughs> I definitely went on a tangent there. I don't know. It's okay. Um, more about being, uh, more about mental health in the, in the African-American community. With this taboo-ness, I think we have to break through that feeling, right? I feel men are even more reluctant to discuss mental health matters than women, within the community within the collective because of the added layer of like toxic masculinity and misogyny right um but oftentimes they are most in need of (laughs) of um therapy of meditation of enlightenment you know so it's important to do the work in breaking down the tabooness of getting mental health help right or getting help with your mental health, or even talking about it just in general, (laughs) getting in touch with yourself mentally, being able to be self-aware and seek out, you know, mental health practitioners and everything like that. How to erase that taboo or limit that taboo, right? That keeps people from going and seeking mental health care, right? I think Denzel Curry right now in this album is doing part of that work, is opening of the conversation. Me and this podcast today, one of my goals, you know, is to continue the conversation and create a reality in which it is not so taboo to seek out mental health care. So definitely there's the, you know, open conversation Things are less taboo when you start talking about them more, right? So it's the, it's that, but it's also talking to the people around you who may, who, who may be reluctant to talk about their own mental health or seek mental health care and encourage them to value their feelings and their state of mind, right? I think also a lot of... The reluctance is born from a feeling like, you know, it doesn't matter if you are suffering from anxiety or depression or you're feeling sad or you're feeling lonely. You just have to continue to go. You, you just have to go. Right. This mindset is not exclusive to the African-American community because I do think it has some of its roots in capitalist culture. The idea that, you know, your product, your productivity Uh, and your ability to make money or make other people money is more important than anything else. Um, Also contributes to this idea that it's not important if I'm feeling down or sad or depressed or lonely or anxious or whatever it is. Uh, I have to prioritize being able to work or I have to prioritize going to school or I have to prioritize my family over all of these other things. Um, So really encouraging people to take another look at that and say to themselves, you know, what doesn't matter if you can work, if you feel like, you know, nothing else matters. Right. Or if you feel like nothing matters. Right. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you cannot um, really experience the fruits of your labor. So, yeah. um, Other ways I think that you get rid of that taboo is really confronting people with what the truth is about mental health. And that is that if you are not mentally healthy, then you're going to experience life in a different way. And by mentally healthy, I don't necessarily mean that you are 100% amazing and okay and fantastic 100% of the time. What I'm referring to is a general sense of health, right? Just like you're not physically healthy all the time, 100% 100% of the days, it's more about being able to know that you can bounce back from whatever mental setbacks that you're experiencing. So just to clarify. So let's say that their priority is their family. Um, and they say, don't worry about me or my mental health, because I've got to take care of my family. And also, I also want to put this in here. That, you know, when you're experiencing poverty, it is much more difficult to open up space, right, for your mental health and for prioritizing your mental health, your physical health, anything when you're experiencing poverty. And I definitely understand that. I also understand that, you know, that's the way that poverty is designed, right, to keep you from getting your footing, right, to keep you from achieving stability right that is the science of poverty that is the um the like miasma well there are different words i want to use here but i i don't have them right now but that is like the poison the poison the curse you know of poverty is that it wants you to make it wants you to be like i don't have time for anything else i just have to work I just have to make sure that we have a roof over our heads. And yes, that is true. But also, if you are depressed doing all of that, then there's only you have a limited amount of time, right? You are racing against the clock. You are a ticking time bomb because a depressed person is not going to be able to work all the hours that you think that you need or that you might need to, you know, get a roof over your head. It's it's unsustainable in that way. It's unsustainable in that way. So there is a balance to be struck there. Back to the topic. If you're talking to somebody who is like, my family is the most important thing. I don't care about my mental health. Well the, well, the argument that I would make is that, you know, you cannot give 100% to your family and make sure that they're all good and they're all there if you yourself are at 0%. Sure, you might be there (laughs) and you might be taking them to all their appointments, but let's be real about it. If you are sad, if you are depressed, if you are anxious in a way that you don't know how to deal with and you don't have the, you know, tools to cope with, then your family is going to notice. Then you're not going to be able to give 100% because you only have 50%, right? If a person says, you know, my mental health doesn't matter. I got to get this job going. Okay. Your job is going to notice. Your your <laughs> your peers are going to notice, and they're not important, really. But you know, if they're if that's where <laughs> if that's where their priorities lie, then sometimes you got to talk to them in a language that they get. You are really concerned about this promotion. If your boss notices that you are operating at a less than hundred percent because you are anxious, so anxious that. It's you know affecting your sleep or whatever. Then are they going to consider you like you're? You can get in your own way in that way kind of feeling. So that's on a more individual level, but definitely I've had several conversations with people you know who are like it's not important that I feel really sad right now. <laughs> I don't have any time to feel sad because I've got to do all of these other things. Well. The sadness is going to find you regardless is a a gag. (laughs) And really, it's not a question of whether or not you'll be sad. You definitely will. It's really a question of if you have the tools to be able to deal with it and get past it. You know, if you have the tools to be able to deal with your daily anxieties and get past those, to deal with your daily frustrations and get past them and still be able to cope and show up as your best self. It's more about that than it is about, you know, if you're sad Yes, yes, yes. It's important to, I feel, get rid of some of that taboo feeling, get rid of some of the stigma that is associated with talking about your mental health, because it is definitely a pervasive issue, right? Everybody is in need of some kind of mental health care, right? Some people can get by on a nice pep talk, you know, <laughs> and, or, you know, an extra hour of sleep and that'll do them, and. You know they can they can do the work necessary to get through bouts of sadness and anxiety and things like that. But a lot of us can't, or they don't. We, a lot of us don't even have the tools to. We don't even know if we can because it was never discussed. This is how you self regulate, right? You were never taught how to get rid of your invasive thoughts or your anxiety or how to uh, care for yourself when you're feeling sad or be soft to yourself, right? And so. Mental health care can give you those tools to then be able to operate on your own in a more healthy way, right? And that's what that's the that's something that I feel is often a misconception about mental health care is that, you know, you have to be in therapy forever and they're going to automatically de- diagnose you with a mental illness or something like that, which is not the case. Oftentimes you attend counseling. <laughs> you attend counseling and what they do is they Give you the tools to be able to uh, regulate your mental health yourself. Tools that you were previously without because there was no one to teach you, but you can have them and you can use them and you can have your own toolbox and maintain that and not necessarily have to go to a counselor every single week. Right. It's just important to be able to know that that's an even an option for you. Right. Some people don't even think that that's an option when it is <laughs> when it is that's yes very important i encourage everyone to seek mental health care even just for a little bit even if it's only for a consultation right even if your mental health care consists of you know you doing yoga that that'll do for now that's a start <laughs> that's a start right yes yes I want to talk a little bit more about your options when it comes to mental health care, right? And I feel knowledge is power and we want to clear up those misconceptions that I was talking about just before this about what it means to receive mental health care or to seek out mental health care, right? You can definitely go to a counselor if you want to just be able to talk to somebody and know that they can, you know, give you an emotional outlet and hear you and relate to you and empathize with you uh I love counselors I love therapists because a lot of people some realizing and some not realizing it right some some people don't even realize that they don't have someone to um like listen to them <laughs> some people don't even realize that they don't have anyone who is emotionally intelligent enough to really listen to them with open arms or with open ears and understand them and relate to them and everything, right? And then some people do, and it feels so horrible, but your counselor can definitely be that for you. They are paid to be that for you. You know, you might, eh, like, <laughs> the part of the misconception is the this idea that you have to be, you know, suffering your hardest and everything. You have to be going through mental illness to get mental health care. And that is not the case. Some people just need someone to be to be there, just need someone to listen to their daily, weekly lives and the, you know, different interpersonal relationships they have and the different ideas and thoughts that they are thinking. And they need someone to listen to that. Right. Counseling can be that for you some people need someone to parse through their um, mental issues with, right? Whether that be a relationship that they're having, whether that be a relation, the relationship with themselves, thoughts they're having about who they are, you know, beliefs about themselves, they need somebody to help them decode, you know, what it is that they're going through. And I think therapists are very useful in that way as well, right? Maybe you're going through a tough breakup and you're like am I wrong (laughs) or did I do something unhealthy here or did they do something unhealthy here I don't like the way that this relationship went and I want my future relationships to be different how do I go about doing that a therapist can give you that advice if you are dealing with problems within yourself you say I'm experiencing problems with my self-worth right I'm a people pleaser um I you know just don't believe that anyone loves me whatever it is a therapist can help with those kinds of problems, right? Those internal issues that aren't necessarily because you're going through a divorce or anything, but because you've got your own these these mental issues of your own that you want to talk about, right? It doesn't have to be a life-threatening type feeling or a severe mental illness or anything like that. It can just be it can just be your whatever your problems are. Whatever your issues might be. Um, other ways right let's say you don't want to talk to a therapist <laughs> even though I really highly encourage it there are other ways you can take care of yourself you can learn some of these tools that I'm talking about on your own right there are books um there are like our you know guides and stuff you can search the internet some stuff is viable there make sure you check the sources and everything like that but you could potentially source some of these tools that your therapist would give you hypothetically on the internet or in a book and attempt to utilize them yourselves right before I was into therapy right I started with shout out to Ianla. everyone I feel like not everyone Iyama is one of my favorite person. Iyama Van Zant, Look her up. If you're looking for a book that will give you some tips and tricks, search up her name. I will spell it for you right now. I-Y-A-N-L-A. Iyama Van Zant B-A-N-Z-A-N-T. I love her. But I started watching her show in which she does a lot of family therapy, family counseling. and gives people the tools to move forward with their family in a more healthy way right? It's amazing. It was amazing. I had never gone to therapy before, but I took some of those tools that I saw her using and used them on my own family and drastically improved my family dynamic. And this is a great success story, but sometimes it doesn't work seamlessly. It didn't work necessarily seamlessly for myself either, you know, and for my family off the bat, but it definitely improved my familial dynamic. So that's an option for you as well. Like if you don't want to go to therapy, if you can't afford therapy, if therapy for whatever reason is out of the question, you can source some of these, you know, media types that might help you as well. I also encourage in tandem with these like behavior changes, um, you know, meditation, self care, yoga, (laughs) yoga. um all that religion if that's something you're interested in I personally am not well what do what I what do I say I'm not atheist it's more like agnostic and we're searching or whatever I'm not into any like traditional religion that's okay <laughs> you don't have to be but if maybe you get a lot of um help from your religion right and and uh believing in religion and subscribing to a religion, that could also improve your mental health. I think you should also pay attention to if it doesn't. (laughs) You know, um, you might think religion is the answer. and And maybe if you are still or if you feel distressed, you know, in the pursuit of religion, then maybe you should think more about if that is the way to go. For now, I don't know. Something for you to think about, but religion definitely can be a source of um mental health fortification type feeling. So, some of the so some of those things, you know, can also help you fortify your mental health. And I encourage you to approach them if you are looking for that kind of outlet. So I want to end this discussion of mental health with a discussion of my own personal mental health journey. Just so that I don't leave anyone questioning, you know? I am talking about it and I'm so passionate about it because I've found that through improving my own mental health, I've improved, you know, my own personal standard of living, improved the standard of living of some of, you know, my close friends and family for being more of myself and being able to be more of myself and being happy with myself and all of that stuff. So, you know, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this, whatever you want to (laughs) say, but yeah. So let's talk a little bit about my own personal, my own personal journey with mental health, my own personal mental health journey. There we go. And, And I'm sharing this in hopes that, you know, first that we continue the (laughs) we continue the conversation and um the dismantling of this uh stigma right around mental health conversations and also you know if one person out there is experiencing something akin to what I have experienced or whatever that they get something worthwhile from my description of my own personal mental health journey all right So I would say (laughs) it all started when I was born. (laughs) I'm kidding. It didn't start when I was born because sometimes it does, but it didn't. It just didn't. Because, Because it just didn't. But what I would find is that later on in life, you know, as you grow out of youth and into adulthood, oftentimes people are kind of smacked in the face by adult responsibilities and the kind of truth of your existence, right? Being a human is lit for a while, but then you start thinking about, you know, the state of the world and the things that you're experiencing, and it can be really jarring for a young person, in my opinion. Anyway, well... (laughs) It's it's such a long story. It is the story of my life. So it's hard to think about when exactly my personal mental health journey began. I would say, though, that it's around high school time, right? Around high school time. I'm dealing with my own personal circumstances that were not stellar Um, for a long time. My family experienced poverty and were, you know, nearly homeless, (laughs) nearly homeless, homeless adjacent for a while, for a long time, really. Um, And so in high school, in high school, we were dealing with that kind of situation, this financial stress and everything, and also dealing with going and growing up, right? (laughs) And realizing that your conditions are not the same as other people's conditions, right? Which can be jarring, (laughs) Which can be jarring, understanding that, you know, some of your material desires are not being met while other people's are, and you ask yourself why, and it's just sad. (laughs) It can just be, it's just like um, a bad feeling. I don't even have really words for it, right? There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of resentment, right? Right. And during this high school time, I felt my resentment and my anger growing towards my mom, who I love the most in the whole entire world. And I would have times in which I felt like I could be really mean, right? And I hated that because I'm not necessarily a mean person. So in realizing that like, I have all of these feelings and don't know how to express them, I don't have the tools to be able to express them at this moment. They are just—they are just building up in me, and I occasionally will lash out at the closest thing to me and cause somebody that I love pain. Hated that. Right around the same time, which this is just like, you know, fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it, the universe intervening, if you will. Around that same time, I found the Yama Fix My Life show on the own network (laughs) and love Iyama. And I love Iyama so much because she gave me the tools to be able to express my emotional state to my family. Um, Sometimes you experience things and you just don't have words for them. Sometimes you are so angry and you're like, why am I so angry? And, you just don't have words to say. Like you don't have the dots to connect to, right? You you just can't fathom how it all connects. But by increasing your vocabulary and increasing and growing your toolbox, you can find those words and effectively express yourself without causing harm to others, right? And that's what I found with E on the Fix My Life show. The words to say, I'm feeling Deep, deep resentment because of our material state and how I feel limited by our experience of poverty, right? <laughs> and how I often blame you. This is; These are things that I could say to my mom after having watched Yana's show for a while, right? I feel that, you know, we are in an unhealthy pattern with money or whatever. I feel like you betrayed me in this way. I feel like all this stuff. And some of them are valid and some of them are true and some of them less true, but they are still on my mind and I still need to be able to express them without being mean and hurting others. Right? So that is the beginning, right? That is the beginning. And then from there, you just continue the journey. Oh, well, I just continue the journey, right? I continued to grow my toolbox and the things that I needed to say, I could say them. And in unburdening myself from those I could move in different ways right I eventually go to college from high school right all I don't think that I had a good come to Jesus moment until like my junior or senior year of high school and this resentment had been building since before since way before right since middle school probably sixth grade Probably sixth grade and I just did not have the words to say until we reached the junior year, the senior year. And I could say I'm feeling very angry and I'm feeling very resentful. And in some way it is warranted, in some way it isn't. But you need to know. (laughs) You need to know. (laughs) And being able to have more control of my mental state because I'm aware of all of these things that are going on within myself type feeling. So yeah, go to college. I deal with more interpersonal relationships in college, as you must. And college, I think, also brought to light some of my uh, internalized type trauma. Right. So to my family in high school, I'm talking about them. I'm talking to them about my immediately. Damn. I'm talking to them about my immediate needs and my immediate feelings um, my current feelings, right, about our situation. And then in college, I'm not living in the same situation, right? I'm living in a different situation because I'm away at college, but I still find the remnants of that situation influencing the way that I behave with others, right, and the way that I react to different situations. And so in that way, college introduces a new kind of mental health, journey, right? A new chapter in my mental health journey because instead of being like I'm currently feeling all of these things, it's like I'm feeling remnants of the trauma that I've gone through in the past and how do I not continue to act out those same kind of traumas in my current life? you know? So that's, that's, that's a different, that's, that's phase two, right? Phase one is being able to just say, and then phase two is, (laughs) phase one is being able to just say and just express yourself and just, um, you know, express your current emotions. Phase two is like thinking about how your current emotions are influenced by your past ones. It's hard out here. And then phase three, I don't know what phase three is. I I think I'm about to enter it, but (laughs) we're still working through phase two right now but definitely and now like i'm out of college it's been a long time that has elapsed in between the in between this journey right high school college out of college now um but i'm still working on things that i feel like can get better right anxieties that are remnants of anxieties that i experienced beforehand and unlearning Unlearning bad habits in terms of those things, right? Rewiring my brain to do better <laughs> type feeling, so that is a little bit about my own personal mental health journey all throughout there. I'm building up my my repertoire in terms of tools, my vocabulary, um I'm doing meditation, I'm deciding what spiritually aligns with me, doing that kind of thought work. I'm being more self-aware in my interactions with people, you know, all kinds of stuff that I implement on a day-to-day in pursuit of a mentally healthy life, right? And it's never 100%. That's not the goal. The goal is instead to be able to, you know, live at, as your best each day. My best is never, like, perfect. <laughs> my best is never perfect, but it is my best, right? So I'll take it. I love it. I, if I like it, you love it. If if you like it, I love it. Anyway, with that, I think we will close today's conversation of mental health in the African-American community. And we will open it again at some point because I think it's a subject that just is so big and so wide. There are multiple things to talk about, but. We are approaching an hour, probably more than an hour at this point. So I don't want to keep you here too long, but we'll definitely talk about it some more in the future. And I'll, I'll let you know if I move into a different phase of the journey. Also, there's going to be some mental health resources linked in the description below if you want to check them out and get to know more about mental health. If you've made it this far, congratulations. You have made it to the end of this episode of the Music Is More podcast. And this is special because this is going to be the last episode of season one. Yes. Yay. Whoopee. Oh, my gosh. Season one. Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) If you haven't listened to the other episodes in season one, I encourage you to do that. Next week, we will not have any um episodes because we're going to go on a short hiatus before we come back with season 2. If you've got any ideas about how to make the podcast even better than it already is, feel free to tweet us or find us on any of our social medias. We're on Twitter at music is more pod. We're on Tumblr at music is more podcast and we're on Instagram at underscore music is more underscore. So come find us, come talk to us. We always love to chat. Um and yeah. <laughs> We will see you at season two. Keep your eye out because there's going to be a couple bonus episodes, like a March recap and stuff like that in the meantime. But those aren't full episodes. Those are just bonuses. And then we'll be back with season two. Hope to see you there. Bye.